the record spinner podcast welcome everyone and i hope everyone's doing well and today um i have a special treat an interview that i did with a friend of mine a musician friend of mine um back over the summer i kind of alluded to this during the um stanley cow and strata east um episode the last episode um, we talked about Rage Against the Machine during this interview, and it was a really, really good interview. Uh, Jonathan's a really knowledgeable um, musician who who knows a lot of the contextual pieces um, due to his age and due to his expertise, of course. Um, he's not too much older than me, though, so <laughs> I know you'd be feeling some type of way about that, John, so <laughs> had to put that in there. Um but yeah, he, he's a great guy. Um, I met this guy when um, I was at co- was in college, and uh, he uh, he helped me put together the uh, the radio station actually back in my sophomore junior junior year. I can't recall which year it was, but whatever. Um, what else to say about Jonathan? Uh, amazingly amazingly talented musician. I'll have uh, I'll link a lot of his. Um, his different groups and uh, and uh, songs in the bio um, f- on this episode. So so yeah, check his music out. Um, I don't know what he's up to now. I know he's uh, doing some new project with uh, with some guys out in Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, yeah, I-, I hope you enjoy this interview. We're again just discussing topics that. Uh, a topic that I think is super relevant with the state of things currently. Um, over the summer, it was a lot bleaker, right? Um, you know, the images that the media feeds us. I'm not going to get into that too much, but the images that the media fed us over the summer made it look very, very, um, I wouldn't say apocalyptic, but uh, what's whatever is the step back from that, right? And in this moment, I think... I couldn't help but to think of, of putting together a, um, something that, that kind of explored uh, the Rage Against the Machine movement, uh, which took place in the early 90s. And as we mentioned in the show, in this interview, um, when it takes place, uh, there's a lot of the same unrest that is going on here um, and now. To me, it's always interesting um, how these things take place and and who emerges, who who emerges from the fires, right, Um, as a celebrity and as the new um, spokesperson for woke celebrity and and fellow entertainer, right? Um, So I wanted to kind of do a deep dive and see all of the little little nooks and crannies that uh, Rage Against the Machine's music seem to kind of invoke um within the american people for the first time in a long time um but i think they missed the mark and i think what happened was in the words of of gil scott heron i think the revolution not being televised is something we continuously see uh, television try and dispute or or disagree with um, 
And by saying that, I mean um, Mr. Gil Scott Heron, a, a relic within the black community. If you don't know or haven't heard of his name, please go and check his work out. Um, Whitey on the Moon, um, all of the the all of his great work. Um, the Bottle, yeah. I'm just I'm just sitting here thinking about like songs. Check out his work. But he was most famous for saying. The revolution will not be televised and that was of course a song um and it's a it's quite of a it's quite an amazing song honestly and, and super anytime i listen to ghost scott it's just amazing how super relevant it always is um to the to the contemporary time um and this is a man who lived and worked and created in the 1960s and 70s and his works not only stood the test of time but is in effect timeless and so when he said the revolution would not be televised he meant that the revolution starts within the mind it starts when we decide that we won't allow congress to take eight months to <laughs> give us a stimulus bill for people who are hurting and out of work and currently down on their on their luck and down um, financially during this time it would be when we decided that that wasn't acceptable anymore the revolution would start to take place when in our minds and in our hearts we understood as black people that we didn't need to appeal to a certain group of people in order to feel better about self or to start to do for self or to uplift self or any of that stuff uh, a man ahead of his time indeed and i think what we've seen and i'll wrap this up here with this uh, point i think what we've seen in in the media and music and arts entertainment numerous attempts to try and spark the outrage but people don't people don't really have the the will or the follow through um, or the know-how or the knack for a sustained effort to really produce change to really produce a revolution that is because it's not in the heart it's not in the mind it's not a full blown let's change things for the better epiphany moment uh, that we're having as a people we're having these reform moments where we feel like a little bit of marching here and a little bit of marching there and a little bit of shouting here and a little bit of memes here and, <laughs> and a little bit of youtubing here and a little tweet here helps and it doesn't it puts a band-aid on something that needs stitches and we continue to march on and scream on and shout on as if the leaders and the people who are in power are gonna actually actually listen to us. It's it's not gonna happen that way. Enough about <laughs> the revolution and such. Um, nonetheless, this group was an amazing uh, musical group, one that uh, influenced me um, to dig deeper in music and dig deeper within s the sound of, uh, or the context of sound rather, um, 
one that also in, influenced me this is when i was um i found this group as a as a very young boy and i i think this group single-handedly was to be was the reason why um i i got into to music um playing music i mean um and and i wasn't very good so i quit very early um but uh but yeah this was a huge huge reason this group was a huge reason for that um hearing them for the first time was a very revolutionary thing in and of itself and i always found myself even when i click play now hearing this group it, it, the question that always comes to my head is how the hell were we not in the streets with this like the years 1990 1991 1992 1993 rodney king just happened of course in la it sparks a riot in la and, and in a few other cities i believe um but it doesn't get to where it needs to get to in order to affect change now what i said just a while back it isn't a plea to go and 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 let's just france 18 1800s we're chopping people's heads off in the street that's not what i'm saying right um i mean that, that is partly what i believe but it's <laughs> not what i'm saying uh what i am saying is that things don't change if the change is implanted if the instruments for change are implanted within entertainment and art and anything outside of self in my opinion so until all 300 million or however million black people there are in this country right but 300 million citizens whenever we get fed up with congress taking eight months to decide if we should get another relief check or not while they can bail out ford and wall street and all these other major corporations within days sometimes hours right um, with bills and, and and legislation once we get tired of hearing that narrative once we really understand that narrative i think we won't allow that to happen anymore but until that is fed into the hearts and minds of every person who's wronged then yeah we're we're going to continue to have these heated summers that die down and become cold winters. Winter in America, one of his greatest albums. On Strata East, actually, fun fact. We won't get anywhere like that. It just it won't happen. It just won't. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the, inter the interview. It's going to be in maybe two to three parts. And, um... And yeah, I, I guess I'll have like a like an intro for all of them, even though I would much rather just go out and put these out. Um, the audio is a bit choppy in places, and, and I do apologize about that. I, I didn't have the setup that I have now. Um, I know that Jonathan has a mic. We, we should just get together again, John, and, um, and re-record and, and just talk about some more stuff, obviously, too. So um, watch out for a Zoom invitation. <laughs> um yeah yeah that's my time enjoy the interview and um and like i said always as always always stay cool and always stay black um peace
first band that I really liked at that time that was current was like U2 and NXS. And then I think the transition, and it's weird to say that they're a transition band, but of course Guns N' Roses was a transition band between mm-hmm. that period and grunge. But also Living Color, even though they were so different. That That is an interesting one. Yeah, they're, Man, they're an interesting Color group. Living Color was incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that the two best guitarists I've ever seen in concert were Bernard Reed from Living Color mm-hmm. and, of course, uh, Tom Morello. Because on my, like, leading up to my 16th birthday, we had all these friends we'd all go surfing. Somehow, I might have lied to my parents, but we went all the way to Cape Hatteras. I know what that's said. About halfway in between, and no one heard Rage, no one heard of So I was like, I got this new tape, or it was probably a tape, and they put it in. It was like every song was so freaking good, man. That's how good Rage was when they hit, when that first album hit. And I know, if you're a big Rage head, you know, you have those three major albums plus the, the covers album. But yeah, yeah. that first album is not as sophisticated as their other ones, sound-wise, not not song-wise. But, man, it just it just crushed. I mean, it was really that good. And if you've ever listened, you can go and listen to that first album on the streaming services. And they will have, like, the demo tracks at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from what I understand, Rage's demo tracks just like remixed because they sound so similar but there's not there's this thing missing from them that probably they got in a better studio they're like here are our tapes what can you do with them and it just crushed man but then again i don't know if that's true because i saw that studio city doc and they you know they showed them playing that's Some interesting of songs were recorded live in front of their friends yeah i gotta check out that doc uh, what's the name of the doc it's called studio it's it's something about studio city it's it's, it's this you know, out in California, is a, California's a weird place because there's just like so much around LA. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily down in the Hollywood or stuff, but there's so many studios and TV production places. But this was like the best thing. The best comparison I can make is like Studio City was a studio that was like in a like in a shopping mall, but like um, you know, one of the outdoor ones. What they call it? You know, just a strip mall. That's outlet right. mall. Uh, is that nice? That's and, right. and then you know, all these bands recorded there, and one of them was Rage, and it was incredible. Man. That's interesting. Dude, when Rage hit, it, it it changed a lot. But the other thing about Rage was it was about six. I'm gonna get this wrong. It was about six to eight months after Nirvana came out, right around mm. Rodney King, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was race conscious at that point in my life, but I was also naive—not naive, but not as learned. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. My parents had exposed me to a lot, but you really have to get out in the world and, and experience it yourself yep. and, and stuff like that. So, you know, that, but that came out right then and it was like, holy, you know, holy shit, you know. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, that's interesting because it, it, it's a, it's a lot of different points. I was going to ask you, you just kind of glided into all of them. Um, yeah. no, that was, it was perfect. Um, yeah, Rage. Rage was one of those groups, man, and and I think given the time that they came out, was it was very important. Um, I want to I want to stay on the musical part though that you covered brilliantly. By the way, um, my favorite album actually is that that second album, Evil yeah. Empire, is I think a culmination of like just kind of a mature and but yet a more a more violent even a more ferocious. And it version. Was more, it was three. It was even more dimensional. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, uh, Down Rodale, for example. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know? Yeah, man. Be I mean, I think, of course, Tom and Zach are kind of like the forces propelling it. Like, as far as like, because a guitar and being an MC or being a vocalist is so important in our society. Mm -hmm. Understandably, it is. But what doesn't get talked about as much is how good the bass and the drums are in that context. It's just so solid. I Do mean, you? Got a question for you or not. Do you think that's because we take the bass and the drums for granted? Like, if you don't have a good bass and drum, that's the only time I feel like people notice the bass and the drum. It's like, oh, shit, that shit sucks. I mean, that's two sentences. You just pretty much nailed it because it's all the glamour about guitar playing, even though Tom's not like that. Zach's not about the glamour. Yeah. Because people just take it for granted. Yeah. But I mean, it really hits. And, you know, a lot of bands at that time, now, in the past, they'll overdub guitar parts. Mm -hmm. We were like, okay, when the dude starts soloing, you get this guitar part that comes in. It's probably the same guitar part they were playing earlier. Yep. But it's just to double it up. But a lot of Rage's stuff, they don't, they never do that. They just, that's what was great about Hendrix, not to get off course. But no, no, go for it. Tom starts soloing doesn't drop off this the energy is still there mm -hmm. because the drummer knows i'm gonna keep cracking this crash symbol to the, with the beat and the bass player just you know he's there the whole time he's probably the most controversial in a way guy in the band because of what happened at the mtv music awards mm -hmm. he got up on that stage and you know he was pissed off that this kid won and i think that pissed off the other members but I actually was lucky enough to see them. Um, and Why else do you think I brought you on the show today? I'm getting down. I mean, I've been to about 10 great shows in my life. 10, maybe, maybe a little less. Mm -hmm. Neil Young. Tori oh, Neil Young. Young. We'll have to do a separate episode for Neil yeah, Young. For Neil Young, just to, just for him alone. Yeah. Just, I mean, it was incredible. Because I thought That's he good. would be like, not standoffish. I just didn't think he'd play the songs that uh, I wanted to hear. But he just played Nice, nice. And I've seen Mike Watt, the guy from the Minute Minute. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah and I saw him open for Sonic Youth, and that was like, Sonic Youth. I haven't Youth. listened to them in years, man. Yeah, but the thing about that was, I was so into Mike Watt that I was just like, and he talked to me for like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. He was like the coolest dude. Nice. But I'm just telling you, I was just far away from the stage at Rage. It was like a George Mason, their campus. It was their basketball gym. Okay, so that was up this way. Eight, eight, nine thousand people could be in there, probably ten thousand maybe. Okay. I was as far away as you could be because it was just general admission. Mm-hmm. And it just hit so hard. I mean, it would just hit you in your chest, the bass and the drums. And, you know, a lot of guys on guitar are good in the studio and after 20 takes can nail what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And dude, not only did he play you know, the spirit of his solos from the album, he like made them better, which is a mark mm. of someone that's an artist. Mm. Because Tom Morello's background is interesting. He went to LA thinking he was going to be the shredder. Got out of Harvard, he was going to be the shred guitar. Because that's the 80s, man. The 80s. Yeah. And, he, and he realized one day, because I've seen this um, couple of videos just you know, in my travels, that realized that he wasn't going to find an amp that was going to allow him to do all these different styles plus ballads 
and be all these different things as a guitar player. And he wasn't going to find the pedals or the guitar. He paid like $1,000 for a custom guitar that ended up he didn't even like it. Mm. It's the Feed the Homeless or Arm the Homeless guitar. You've seen it, the kind of light blue almost. Yep. It's kind of, you know, looks like it's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. He like redid it himself right. to make it work for him. And he realized that he found this amp that didn't do all the things he wanted to do, but it did the things that he was good at. Mm. And he just concentrated on that. Because one of the things he does, just as a little sidebar is, and I do it too, because I've got a guitar you can do it on, is he's got this he's got this switch that flips between the pickups and the guitar. And he turns one of the pickups all the way down. Mm-hmm. And what he can do is he can use that switch to talk back between the two. And it's the same thing as a DJ when they toggle. You know, you toggle between two records get this thing but he's just toggling team silence no sound and sound that's how we get that you know like crazy i never knew that that's interesting he's a real and i play guitar long enough to know who's who and you know they're great guitars that can play the shredding stuff but it just it's the same thing that's been done this guy came out and reinvented the guitar mm. that, that i think is a little sidebar is why we can't proceed with rock and roll as much anymore well, I, I did this interesting little timeline, and it leads into my next question, this timeline of of where music came from pre-Rage Against the Machine, and then kind of where they picked it up to drop it off. And, and essentially what you have is, you remember the days where pop was almost, pop and rock were bedfellows, like rap and pop now, right? Like rap and pop are, are now almost synonymous. Hip-hop is king. Hip-hop is king. It's king now. But yeah, there was once upon a time where that was rock's genre. That was rock's you had Michael Jackson position. And Eddie Van Halen to play on exactly. Screen. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like pop and rock were like, they were really close. As close as rap and pop are now. And so I think what you have, and maybe I'm wrong here, and I think your contextual knowledge will definitely help here, because what I think Rage does is before then you had a few groups who did the collab, right? The the rock and the rock and uh, rap collab, but there was a marriage. Yeah, they weren't bad, but they were a little playful, right? They were a little innocent, right? Um, I'm thinking about Run DMC and Aerosmith right now. You know, like you had those, right? But when you had when Rage comes on, this is a marriage of c- conscious revolutionary rap, if you will, um, much of which we haven't heard of uh, before before until until unless you look at a a, a group like uh, grandmaster flash flash and the furious five or um or maybe even uh, uh public enemy which i think are, are around the same time ish as uh, rage against the machine right um so they pick up right there and they carry this the genre of hip-hop i think and 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 metal and and rock and they they marry these things and then they they drop it off in in the new millennium to uh to create what we have now i feel like and and i mean that's that's a stretch saying that they they did that by themselves but but obviously right i I think i'm gonna say something that's not controversial but i don't think it gets talked about enough and there's this problem in music so jimmy hendrix comes out and you've got, I mean, he just, he does things with a guitar that never been done before. And yeah. in some ways haven't been, you know, but what he sets off 
is a bunch of copycats trying to be at least in the same area as him. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like that, but a lot of white blues guys, and I'm not knocking them, but they all play strats, mm-hmm. and they all love Hendrix, but it's just wankerdom. It's just wanky. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with Black Sabbath. You get this incredible band. How many bands that spawn? Yeah, out of out of that group, you get uh, uh so I think I know where you're going with this. Keep going, yeah. please. And so what happens with rage is it's like the best and the worst of Yeah. Rage comes out and guess what? Five years later, fucking Limp Biscuit comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was just gonna say yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you have to understand that people like Rage and people like Nirvana, people like Soundgarden, mm-hmm. people like Rakim, shit. Yeah, Rakim. Why didn't I name? I, I was trying to think of him, not public. Yeah, you can go into any music genre, any type of art, and you'll find these originators. Mm-hmm. The next generation that comes along, a little bit lighter in the substance, a little bit lighter in the coolness, but it's still okay. It's showy, more showy too. Yeah, it's more showy, exactly. Yeah. But third and fourth generation, you start with Pearl Jam, which I don't think they're. Ooh, that's another that's another show, John. I gotta write some notes about that one, man. Come on. I'm not a hater on Pearl Jam. Can, I just can't knock Pearl Jam and just be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna continue. On. I'm kidding. Yeah, no. But then you got Pearl Jam and someone, you know, maybe they're the first or second generation of that sound. They're probably. But a couple years later, a few years down, you got Creed, which is just nonsense. Yeah, because, dude, you're making only, you're making a point, dude. Oof, go for it. Yeah, not only is. Are the, there are people out there that want to emulate what Pearl Jam is, which is a very nice, it's a sentiment. You have to get past sentiment in art. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Imi- right. You can't. You got to get past the imitation. You can admire exactly. an artist, but you so can't. You really you should... love this band, and you want to do your own thing. Exactly, exactly. You end up sounding like them, but it's more watered down. In a bad version of them, yeah. You're not doing yeah, them du- ju- justice version, with that, yeah. In a weird way, there are these other guys out there, and gals, let's not leave the women out, of course. who are working for these fucking records. They know it's shit, mm-hmm. but they know it'll sell mm-hmm. because people are looking for that. They're looking for the next. Cells. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's times, true. man, we were high school listening to this, you know, and, and so you have these copycats and they just retread. What I've always tried to do is reinvent the wheel in my own way. And I don't know if that's like, you know, because there are limitations as an artist. I think you First have thing to. You have to do as an artist is learn or at some point two three years in or however long it takes mm-hmm. and realize what your sound is going to focus towards now it can be a thousand different things that you're going to do with it and it can go in all different directions but you got to know what you can